As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to episode 51 of the Keith Law Show. My guest today will be Julie DeCaro, whose new book, Sidelined, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America, just came out on March 16th. For subscribers to The Athletic, my most recent piece listed some possible breakout candidates for 2021. I actually said in the piece, I'm not thrilled with the list of names this year. I feel like just not having much of a season last year limited how much I had to go off of. And it's funny that possibly the best breakout candidate of all was suggested by a reader in the comments. I do occasionally read the comments. Somebody suggested Gavin Lux with the Dodgers. And if he gets regular playing time, I am absolutely on board. I'm a Gavin Lux fan. I always have been since high school. I could absolutely see him breaking out as well. So there's a bonus one, but you can read about the other candidates I suggested in that piece. Uh, Later this week, I'm going to have just a short piece also on some of the things to watch out for as the season starts, particularly from a player development perspective. Like, what are teams going to do about pitcher workloads this year? It's a little bit speculative because we just don't know yet, but these are things to see how maybe different teams try to handle some of these uh, new challenges. I picked three in particular that at least I'll especially be watching for once the major league seasons, then the minor league seasons all get underway. Now it is my great pleasure to be joined by a longtime Twitter friend of mine. I don't think I've actually, I don't think we've ever actually met in person. I've been on your old radio show. We've yeah. talked via Twitter. That's uh, Julie DeCaro, who has a great new book out. Just came out on March 16th called Sidelined, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America. Julie, thank you for joining me and congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, the book's great. The book's great. I've been plowing through it. I am sort of, I'm familiar with a lot of these stories, but uh, I think your voice really brings them uh, to life in a in a new way and a really uh, a way that I find obviously a lot of it is infuriating, but it's very compelling too. And I want to start with something even before I cracked the book. I knew this would be my first question. Um, let's talk about Aroldis Chapman and uh, who's who never goes away apparently. Right. Um, you know, Aroldis Chapman had a pretty for listeners who aren't aware, and they should everyone should be aware. But he had a pretty publicized, pretty well publicized domestic violence incident for which he was suspended. He has had other off-field transgressions. It's probably a bit of a euphemism in his baseball career. And I try to bring up every time he's in the news, every time he's been traded or signed, talk about he did this thing. Mm -hmm. We know he did this thing. And the response I always get 
and I'm sure you've gotten it too, and probably worse is from fans is, why should I care? Mm-hmm. If he helps the team win, why should I care? And there are various, re- various variations on that. Don't you believe in second chances? He's on like his eighth chance now, by the way, so that's <laughs> not even a good argument. But you know, how do you answer that? I know I can tell from the way you write about this and other players in that one, the one chapter in Sidelined. What is your response to the extent that you can reason with those people? Why should they care? Well, I think one of the issues is, is the normalization of this, right? I mean, every time that that you see a guy in Major League Baseball, you know, get accused of something like this, you have a bunch of guys jump in the mentions and say, yeah, you should be able to slap women around if they don't behave, you know? And, and, and I know it's trolling, but, but it does serve to sort of normalize the behavior. The thing I always struggle with is, like, how long do you keep bringing it up, right? And I know, I know in the book that, we, that I, I sort of am like, I don't have the answer to that, but I think the reason that we feel compelled to keep bringing it up is because we don't ever deal with it in the first place. It's sort of like, okay, he's got a suspension. He's serving his suspension. He said he's sorry. Now we're not going to talk about it anymore ever. And there's sort of like no resolution for anybody. So then you feel like he got away with something or he sort of like, you know, he like there was no justice done. So then you feel like you need to keep reminding people of it because you keep seeing people talk about how great he is and how much money he's making. And I mean, if he, it was bad enough that he was on the Cubs when they won the 2016 World Series. If he had been on the mound when they won that game, I don't know how I would have reacted. Um, And, you know, it's all, whether you're talking about online harassment of women or women's sports not being respected or domestic violence, like, it's all part of the same thing. It's all part of this. Women don't belong in this space. Women aren't legitimate in this space. Women don't count in this space. Um, And, and you know, it's, it's all part of the bigger problem from the way that men talk to us online to the way that managers talk to women who are covering them. Um, it, it's all just part of the whole big thing. And, and I don't want to hear like, oh, I get it now because I have a daughter. Like, you should care about human beings. I don't know how to tell you you're supposed to care about other human beings <laughs> and when people harm them, you're supposed to care. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's a unfortunately a, a not insignificant segment of this country right now that just doesn't care about other people. And I don't know if it's possible to reach them. So what would you like to see? I mean, this is related to the last question, but a, a little bit of a shift. What would you like to see at least leagues or teams, but it's usually done at the league level? do differently in these cases because and and tell me if you disagree with this but i feel like if the leagues take this more seriously or at least show that they take it more seriously and i understand those aren't the same thing but that that will also help shift fan attitudes because i'm i I feel like you feel the same way i do like just kind of tired of waiting for people's attitudes to change on this and if the leagues and i mean i've certainly written about i thought i think i've written about the need for leagues to to change these, change their policies or just create policies on domestic violence and sexual assault. If the leagues are doing something, I'm hoping that will also shift fan attitudes. But do you like the way that the league, that professional sports leagues are approaching this? And what would you like to see them do differently? You know, I sort of go back and forth because I've come to this from both sides. I've come to the side where I represent the victim in court, and I've come to the side where I'm defending abusers in court. I've done both. Um, I, I guess what I think what we all really want to see more of is a more sort of holistic, restorative justice, victim-centered kind of 
program, which we don't have from anybody. Um, I'll say for Major League Baseball, at least they try to get the guy some counseling, try to work on this stuff. Um, although what they do, for anyone who works in that industry, will tell you that it's woefully inadequate, that you can't have, you know, guys doing 30 days of counseling and then that's it. Or, you know, a phone calls with a psychiatrist to talk about their anger. Like, that's not why people abuse. And that, you know, these guys need to be in programs that would last years, um, that, you know, would put them in rooms with other abusers to call each other out on their BS and stuff like that. Um, you know, a, a guy I know who, who works with abusers says six months is just scratching the surface of why someone abuses and that most of these guys need years. I, I don't know that it's even baseball's place to do that, but, it, but nobody else is doing it either. So it's, um, I, I do appreciate that baseball is willing to go after these guys and, and in Folks, you know, put in place some kind of punishment, even though there's no criminal case. Um, but, you know, again, I come back to this isn't really baseball's job to do it. At the same time, I don't want to watch abusers out there playing baseball without consequences either. So it's a really difficult question. And, and I applaud baseball for the way they have tried to handle it. Um, but, you know, I think that for it to really be effective, they need to work with the victim. They need to get these guys in long-term counseling that might take a couple years to get them to understand their behavior and why. And I just can't imagine under what circumstances baseball would be able to do that. Yeah, I like that you brought up restorative justice, which is just not part of our justice system, right? We have a, a punitive justice system yeah. in the United States. But that idea of trying to work with the victims while acknowledging what victims want in these cases often is is not something that Major League Baseball or National Hockey League or whoever, whatever they can do. Often there's you know, domestic violence victims say, I just, I want the abuse to stop. I don't yeah. want my partner in jail. I don't want him to lose his job. I want him to, I want the abuse to end. And that's a very difficult thing, especially to do, as you said, in these really compressed timeframes where Hey, I'm glad when they suspended Oroldis Chapman, I think got 30 days, which it partially reflected the fact that there was conflicting evidence on exactly what he'd done. And he, Major League Baseball found enough, but it wasn't anywhere near enough for any kind of criminal case. So I'm glad they did something. Yeah. But if we're expecting behavior change from that, that seems wildly unrealistic. Yeah, and Keith, I think that's why Zach Britton coming out and talking about who, who I, I'm losing Domingo track. Like, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, um, talking about you know peer pressure coming from other teammates might be the thing that finally moves the needle on this, and we never hear that. We always hear guys like, "Oh, we support him 100. percent We love having him in the clubhouse. He's a great guy." I mean, David Ross put that Aroldis Chapman's a great guy in his book, which just I mean, I almost threw the book across the room. Um, <laughs> he's not a great guy. Um, and, and that thing that support your teammates at all costs, like sort of trope needs to go out the window. Um, and I really feel like maybe other teammates saying, you know, this is inappropriate. Um, you know, if we hear about this again, you're going to have to deal with your teammates. Like that kind of thing may be what sort of stops eventually, you know, gets guys to care and stop is if they're ostracized by teammates, not just, but, you know, getting a penalty by the league and everyone says, oh, forget about it. We'll see you in 30 days. You bring back, um, I, in, I know you write for Deadspin now, and under the previous iteration of Deadspin, Diana Moskovitz wrote a piece that uh, mentioned me and a number of other writers who were saying like, saying essentially things like, I just don't want to see these guys on the field again. Like, mm-hmm. if Aroldis Chapman never plays another baseball game again, okay, I understand he's really talented, but I'm kind of over it. I, I don't need to see these domestic abusers, alleged or otherwise, on the field. And she brought up the argument that it may be worse for the victims yeah. 
if that happens, um, that we're better off continuing the players and their victims would be better off if they're still employed and that the league or the team or whoever are continue to work with the player. And I always fit that's a conflict I can't resolve internally. Yeah, no, I don't want to see these guys either. Um, at the same time, I, you know, having worked with victims, don't discount how much these people actually really do love the men that they're with, even if they abuse them. And I don't want someone who's a victim to be punished again, not only because this guy is potentially losing his livelihood and losing income, but also that, you know, now she's to blame. She's the reason that he got in trouble because she and she's home alone with him. And and this was something that everyone brought up and the Cubs brought this up over and over in the Addison Russell case, which really bothered me because they were already divorced. Like, when mm-hmm. she needed this from you, you weren't there. And now that they're divorced, you're saying, oh, it's better for the victim if he keeps his job. Uh, you know, from a financial standpoint, I'm sure that's true. But she wasn't anymore in the situation where she was in the house with him. And if he wasn't playing baseball, he was going to be home with her, blaming her and putting her in a really terrible position. Um so, yeah, I mean, it, it's not really up to me. And, you know, there's plenty of times when I'm like, oh, that guy is a real piece of garbage in court. But their victim really does love that person. And he's the father of her children. And she really wants him in her life. And that's not really my place to say, you know, whether or not he should be there. So, I mean, a thing I try to think about is that, you know, these people have family members they support. They often have children they support. Like, these people need them to be a better version of themselves, not for them just to go away. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man and the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the other topics you write about eloquently, and at some length because it runs across many chapters in Sidelined, is the role of the media in all of this. And I'm not speaking specifically of domestic violence, so that's certainly part of that, how the media tends to whitewash people who are domestic abusers, sexual assaulters, harassers. Just today, the LA Times wrote a piece that sort of glad-handled Trevor Bauer and called him quirky. And when mm. he has actually a history of bullying people through social media, yeah. and those are not the same thing. But you also talk about all the impediments that the modern structure and the, especially the old guard of sports media, sports journalism in the United States, all the obstacles they create to letting women and people of color into into their ranks and to rise up their ranks where they become decision makers. 
And so I'll start with this. Do you see, do you think that the way the media covers all of these cases of essentially bad behavior by male players, how much of that or do you think is just a reflection of it's still mostly a bunch of white guys? When I walk into the Baseball Writers Association meeting room at the winter meetings, it's mostly guys who look like me, mm-hmm. just older. And that's actually <laughs> becoming less true all the time, too. Gosh. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things is that a lot of the the people who have a vested interest in the way the media covers this um, I work for outlets that have relationships with teams or with with leagues, right? So like my old radio station was the flagship station for the Chicago Cubs. When I was talking about Addison Russell, they did not like it. And the Cubs let my radio station know they did not like me talking about Addison Russell. Um, as if like, you know, we're all just supposed to forget about it and go away and watch him and be happy. And people want, everybody in the powers that be want everyone to feel good watching sports. And if you're bringing up racism or domestic violence or homophobia or transphobia or any of these things, you're making sports less fun. So now if you write about this stuff or you talk about this stuff, you get labeled as quote unquote difficult, right? Or like you are the person who's rocking the boat and causing all the problems when we all just want people to be happy watching sports and so we can all make lots of money. And I think that that is part of the impediment to women and people of color rising through the ranks is that it's difficult for us to watch an NFL game where there's three known abusers on the field. Or it's difficult for me to watch where I know someone is is a person who's made transphobic comments online or has made racist comments online. Now I'm supposed to just watch these guys and just forget about it and enjoy the sport. And I think it's that if you're able to do that, I think you're in a very privileged class where you're in the majority and basically across the board, right? For the rest of us, if you belong to any marginalized group, those things come up when you're watching sports. So I think that, you know, the way people rise through the rank is another form of privilege. If you're a person who can just set all of that aside and not care about anything but the game, um, you're probably a white, cis, straight man. Um, And so those are the people that sort of get the favor of their bosses because they never cause any problems and they never upset people and they always just talk about the game. And so they're the ones that rise through the ranks. And I really think that's a problem in our industry right now. Yeah, that's, you know, I work, obviously now I work at The Athletic and I've noticed even a difference. You, You talk about ESPN, my former employer for a long time. In multiple chapters in the book, and you, I, I think you're very fair to them. I think you talk about a lot of the things they do really well. Their internal responses to things like sexual harass, sexual and other harassment, are actually really great. Um, and there is, I agree that there's a lot. There's been a real emphasis towards more DEI efforts, particularly in hiring uh, front-facing employees, outward-facing employees at ESPN. I think a lot of that actually comes from Walt Disney too. That is a Disney corporate. That's part of Disney's corporate culture. Uh, but it was only in the last couple of years I was there that I started to see more women in decision-making roles. So it's one thing to to put women out there in front of the camera or to have women's bylines on the sites, which are great. Although, as you point out in the book, too, in a whole chapter, women are, were often relegated to the sidelines mm-hmm. rather than being put in the booth, which was a chapter I could particularly relate to just because I, I, I know those people. I know a lot of those people. Um, but that – it was really only the last, I'd say, two or three years there that I that there were enough women in the executive suites or in the, the director positions even to hire people like that. I just feel like so many of the people making these hires at newspapers, at websites, at radio, TV networks, um, they're still it's still so male dominated, and that's obviously even more true on the team side for women trying to break into 
front offices across men's sports, particularly, until we get more women at the top level, are we just going to see too little progress or too slow progress of women coming in at the entry level who can eventually, it just seems like it's, this is a long-winded question, I'm sorry, but (laughs) my point is, what do we have to do to get more women in the front door so that they can eventually end up in like one of the C-suites and then they're making decisions bringing in more women? And you can apply the same argument to people of color as well. So there's something called the mirror complex, which means that, you know, you are more comfortable with people who look like you. And so we've got a lot of white men in these positions and they tend to hire a lot of white men, you know, and I always would say, you know, there's all these if I when I go and speak to women at colleges, there's all these young girls in sports broadcasting classes and and they have all this ambition. And I feel like, you know, there's this flood coming behind us. But then also I hear them say, you know, I've seen what you guys go through with sexual with uh, online harassment and sexual harassment. So I'm just going to go into PR. I still love sports, but I'm just going to do the PR side. And it sort of breaks my heart because we need more reporters. Um, but it's not just getting women and people of color in those roles. It's getting the right ones in that are willing to shake things up a little bit, right? So, I mean, like, there's a lot of women that have risen through the ranks. I wouldn't say a lot, but there are women who have risen through the ranks because they're willing to play the game and do the work of the patriarchy, right? So, I mean, we had a woman take over my radio station in Chicago, and we were thrilled that a woman was taking over, and the first thing she did was fire all the women on the station. So, I mean, obviously, that's not the right woman. Um, but but I think you're right, you know, that, that we do have, especially in media right now where everything is shrinking, jobs are being cut left and right, everything's being slashed, nobody wants to take a risk. And unfortunately, for a lot of people out there, hiring a woman or hiring a black woman or hiring a person of color is a risk um, that they don't want to take. And so, you know, I, I'm always amazed when a new show debuts and it's like four white guys sitting behind a desk. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. In 2021, this is still where we are, but it's still, it just keeps happening across the board. And if, you know, when women point out that, you know, how can you not have a woman on this show or how can you not have a person of color on this show? Then suddenly it's like, oh, you're just jealous. Oh, it's sour grapes. Like if you're better at your job, maybe you could do something like this. Instead of just pointing out that in 2021, if you look at the sports fan base, it is inexcusable to have a show that is just for white guys. It just is. I want to bring up a couple of specific cases too and sort of get your your take on them. One is from your book. One is actually after your book, but your book is sort of well-timed. So you talk about Mike Tirico at mm-hmm. ESPN, who had a pretty long and very well-documented history of sexual harassment that is now about 30 years ago. Um, but they're awful, right? He should have been – certainly if that stuff happened today, I do think he would have been fired pretty quickly. But ESPN chose to make him take some time off, get counseling, and when he returned – they kind of made him one of their stars. Now he's with NBC now rather than ESPN, but his role in the industry is largely due to ESPN shepherding him through and making him one of the real faces of the network. And the thing I struggle with, I see Mike Tirico on TV and I think I, you're that guy. I know those stories. I know about the sexual harassment. Most people don't think that. And I think a lot of people would say, it's 30 years ago. Why should I care? What, Again, sort of what's the, what, what is the argument there? Cause I don't, I don't know the answers to some of these things. It's very easy for me to just say he should be out that he's that person. He's always that person. Make room for somebody who's just as talented, who didn't do those horrible things, right? You argue in the book, plenty of these people are out there. Do you see a Mike Tirico and think that that's a lost cause? We, we just got to let that one go. Or do you think we should still be bringing up 
as I do, we should still be talking about these things because the, the issues were never properly resolved in the first place. That's it. That's exactly what it is. And clearly I'm not over it because every time I see my Chris go face <laughs> on anything, I tweet out <laughs> about all sexual harassment stuff. I, the thing that really got me was NBC having him interview Sean White about the sexual yeah. harassment allegations against Sean White. So you've got sexual harasser interviewing sexual harasser. I mean, Mike, the stuff that Mike Tirico is accused of is some of the most egregious sexual harassment I've ever heard of. I mean, it is truly terrible. And, you know, do a Google. It's out there. You don't have to buy the book to find it. It's just that it was never dealt with and that he has built this career in spite of it and no one ever brings it up. I think that's what really galls women is just that you watch these guys rise to these heights knowing they have all this stuff and, and it was never dealt with publicly, never publicly apologized for it, never publicly addressed it in any way. God knows what the women he abused are doing now. Um, who knows? I mean, they probably left the industry. Tons of women do. It's like with the Harvey Weinstein thing. It's like every time there was a woman in Hollywood that I was like, gosh, whatever happened to her? Whatever happened to Annabella Shiora? Whatever happened to, you know, whoever else? Um, gosh, her name is escaping me from Mighty Mira Sorvino was one. Yeah, right? Mira Sorvino. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yep, exactly. Like, whatever happened? She was, she was on top of the world. And then it turns out there was some guy behind it. It seems like yep. almost every time. And so I think about the other women, the women that he abused and harassed, and I wonder, because there is actual sexual assault in there, too, not just harassment. And I just wonder where they are. And I I just feel like someone needs to hold these guys accountable for this behavior. It's not just like he still is in the industry. Like, he is the face of NBC now with all of that out there. After Matt Lauer, I was just kind of like, really? And I know it was 30 years ago, but... And, and, and I hope that he did get counseling, and I hope he has never harassed another woman since. But given how serious and how upsetting some of those incidents were, it's hard for me to believe that he just stopped. Or did women just get quiet because Mike Tirico is a big star? I don't know. So now baseball is having a little mini reckoning. You have this chapter, Where is our Me Too in the sports media side? And I don't know that we're quite there yet, but certainly we've had a couple of highly publicized cases of baseball executives or coaches engaging in some kind of harassment of women, and we're starting to see some consequences. Apparently, the Mickey Calloway investigation is going to take longer than figuring out who shot JFK, but <laughs> there's, you know, let's let's hope that's going to be resolved in the way I think we all know it is, because there's quite a there seems to be quite a bit of evidence there. But I took some heart in the Jared Porter case, and I knew Jared very well. I would have said we were friends. I also knew one story of him behaving, what I would say, uh, too aggressively with a woman I know who's not in baseball, just outside of it. It's just coincidentally, I knew this story. And um, and listeners have heard me say this before, and I'm sort of angry with myself. I didn't, I didn't think, hey, this is bad. This is actually much worse than you realize is because I'm a man and I didn't think that way. But in this case, we got a story of Jared Porter harassing one reporter in particular extremely aggressively. And within, I think, 48 hours, he was gone. The Mets just said, nope, we're done. And I absolutely was afraid when that story first came out. I feel like it was a Sunday. And uh, I was like, they're going to bury this, aren't they? They're just going to try to ride this out and say, this is the guy we hired. We don't want to embarrass ourselves by firing a guy we just hired. We're going to wait this out. In three days, it'll blow over. And they actually did the right thing for once. And I don't want to overgeneralize, but I was like, hey, we might be getting somewhere here because five years ago, I don't think that happens. Five years ago, I absolutely think they try to ride that out and figure most people will forget. And a year from now, especially if the team does better, no one will talk about it again. Yeah. How shocked was I that Jared Porter had been working for the Cubs? Not at all. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I, I do take heart in those sort of situations and the terrific reporting that women like Katie Strang and Riccaroli are doing yep. um, on those cases. Uh, but it does, you know, think of all the men I know that I've been warned about. And then I think about how many cases we've seen actually go public. Like it sort of started with the NFL network stuff and it was like, OK, here we go. And then it just sort of petered out. And now it sort of started again with these two guys and nothing. And, and I know there are women all over baseball, all over the NFL, all over the NBA who have these stories and all of those guys are still working. And I, I think the bottom line is that there just aren't enough of us that, you know, unless you have someone who is who's really just extraordinarily brave, which a lot of the women who have come forward are, they are. it's easier to go to HR or to tell a story to a reporter when there's more than one of you, you know, and when you are the only one in the locker room or the only one at a station, it's it's really difficult um, to, to sort of get all that courage on your own without anyone to support you. So, I don't know if if it's ever going to happen. I feel like we need to see a lot more women in the industry before it does. Now, I've heard so since the Porter thing and the Callaway thing, you've probably heard a lot of these stories already. I, I always feel like I'm going to be one of the later people to hear about them because women t- they share these stories with other women as they should. I mean, I, you know, if I were in their shoes, I'm not sure I would run to trust a man with a story like that too. And but I started to hear some more of them, and I think there's more coming. I hope there's more coming. I hope this this little movement here doesn't just die out because, hey, we got a season and stop talking about this. It's baseball. Right. But there are other, like I heard a story of an executive with a, I'll just say with an American League team who'd been sending a bunch of pictures to women in the front office somewhere. And I passed that along to somebody and I think it's being looked into, but I don't want to see these stories die. I feel like if I heard one, there are 20 more out there I haven't heard. Yeah. Maybe that's even, maybe that's a bad ratio. Maybe if, if I've heard one, there's a hundred more out there. But I share a little bit of your trepidation. It's going to depend on women coming forward. And that ultimately comes down to something I feel like you had to feel like you were doing when you were writing sidelines, which is we ask the women or the victims of racism or abuse or assault, we end up asking them to do the work. And that's incredibly unfair. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And it's sort of like, you know, I talked a lot about rape culture um, when when Twitter first got going and I was sort of like, you know, trying to point it out to people. Nobody cared what I had to say until I wrote about my own rape. And now suddenly everyone cares. It's like you have to lay your trauma bare in front of the world for them to, to take what you're saying seriously. Um, and yeah, I mean, in these cases, it, it is, you know, I, I know guys that know these stories that know who's a bad guy. And, you know, the thing is, you can say to to one of your colleagues, like, oh, yeah, this is what this guy said. And here's what he did to me. And the next thing you know, the guy's a guest on a show and they're like palling around and they're the best of friends. Like, it's really disheartening. And, and I think that that's sort of what we've had to, you know, deal with a lot in this industry. Like, remember the shitty media men list? Can I say yep. shitty on your podcast? Yes, you can. Sorry, yes, you okay, can. Good. And I remember that list. <laughs> Yeah. That woman ended up getting sued for it. Right. But I'm like, yeah. that's what we need for sports. Yep. We need like a shittiest sportsman list <laughs> and just put it out there and let all the reporters just go at it because it's it is difficult, I think, to always be the woman who's in the spotlight because there's only like one at a time. You know, and a lot of women have chosen to remain anonymous, which I respect tremendously. Um, But I think it would be a lot easier if there were more stories coming out at once and everybody wasn't laser focused on this accuser or that accuser. My guest today has been Julie DeCaro. Her book, Sidelined, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America, came out on March 16th from Dutton, part of Penguin Random House. You can buy it anywhere fine books are sold. Julie, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. You're one of my heroes, Keith. You're one of my literary writing baseball heroes. So thanks for having me. Thank you. 
That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. I do want to have just two reminders real quick. One, my second book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves will be out in paperback on April 6th. That is just two weeks away. You can buy it pretty much anywhere books are sold. Call your local independent bookstore. They could really use the business now. And if you don't have one, try bookshop.org. And also, it is, as I record this, it is March 22nd, so I believe eight days from now, on or about March 30th, I will do my annual predictions column, which is guaranteed to make everybody mad, but I will give you my predictions, my very unscientific predictions, on one lost records for all 30 teams, award winners for MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, and some thoughts on who might win in the playoffs. It is just for fun, and people get so angry about it every year. So really looking forward to that. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. Go get that vaccine. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.